What's good, family? Welcome to another episode of the Black Men in Medicine podcast. I am your host, Corey Gatewood, bringing you that white coat trip. Today, we have another amazing guest today and Dr. Ray Bignall II. He is a pediatric nephrologist at Nationwide Children's Hospital. In addition to nephrology, he wears many hats, a few of which include Assistant Chief Diversity and Health Equity Officer at Nationwide Children's Hospital, Director of Kidney Health Advocacy and Community Engagement for Division of Nephrology and Hypertension. He is an assistant professor at The Ohio State College of Medicine. He's a member of the White House Equity Roundtable Series on Access to Care. He was named a 40 under 40 leader in minority health by the National Minority Quality Forum. In terms of education, Dr. Bignall attended Meharry Medical College for medical school and completed his general pediatrics residency, clinical fellowship in nephrology, and NIH postdoctoral research fellowship at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center. It is evident he is a man of many talents and certainly committed to excellence, and we are truly honored to have him as a guest today. I know we have quite a bit to touch on, so let's jump right in. Dr. Bignall, tell the audience a bit about your background and how you got involved in medicine. Yeah, for me, I think medicine was, uh, I can't really say it was in my blood, uh, but it was definitely in my heart from an early age. So I am from an immigrant family. My parents are from Jamaica originally. And I always knew that I had an aptitude for science. Uh, it was something that was really pushed in my home, in our household. I think very similar to a lot of immigrant families uh, that have that experience. And I had an aptitude for science, but it was actually when I started um, really exploring the career from the perspective of some high school teachers uh, who really inspired me, where I really. I think caught the bug there. And ever since, I knew that there was something special about medicine where I could, of course, exercise my interest in science, exercise my love for uh, curiosity and uh, learning, and at the same time, be a leader in my community and help folks, uh, which was something that was really important to me. From our time together at OSU, I can definitely say helping folks that box is checked. And from a mentee perspective, I, we definitely appreciate all the work that you do. Um, but with all the medical specialties out there, how did you land on pediatrics? Uh, I figured that if I would go into medicine, I would do pediatrics because I just love kids, love working with kids, always have, love families, love the opportunity to impact young people sort of as they ascend into life. Uh, and get to watch that transformation. And uh, that was really a, a special thing. And it's a special thing every day uh, as a pediatrician. So I, I've, I've really enjoyed that. And I've, I have no regrets about a career in, in medicine or in pediatrics. Yeah, I completely agree. I get fulfillment working with children as well. You know, whether that's introducing them to new experiences or helping them work through a period of difficulty, it's all rewarding. In your case, was there a particular experience or organization you work with that exposed you to this passion? Yeah, so I did a lot of uh, vacation Bible school in my church growing up. And 
that uh, I just came alive when I was around young people. And so I always knew that whatever I did in medicine would involve kids. Early on, I thought I wanted to do a surgical uh, subspecialty. And I realized actually during my surgery rotation that I actually preferred interacting with my patients before and after their surgery than I did enjoy the process of performing surgery. Uh, And that was kind of a, a moment for me because. You know, um, in my household, there was almost like an expectation that if I were to do medicine, I would be uh, doing surgery. Uh, And uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that like my parents put that on me, but I just felt like that was the the expectation, um, uh, unconscious expectation. And I got I sort of had this this moment of panic because, you know, I even had a family member tell me at one point. Ray, you know, um, I know you're interested in pediatrics, um, and that's great, but I just wish you would have lived up to your full potential, uh, meaning, you know, you should have done something cooler <laughs> than just taking care of kids. Uh, and so I knew that there was this, uh, this conflict, you know, there's this expectation for me to pursue a career uh, in a discipline that I wasn't really feeling. Man, that's tough, Dr. Bignall. I'm sad you had to experience that, especially with it coming from family. How were you able to sidestep this negative energy and, and pursue with your, you know, your career choice and, and, and what your passion was? And it was actually one of my surgical mentors who I approached about this conflict. And she looked me in the eye. Uh, her name's Dr. Afodale. She's a surgeon uh, at Meharry Medical College, my alma mater. And she said to me, Ray, you're going to be an amazing doctor no matter what you do. So you just need to follow your passion. And I took her advice and I kind of ran with it. I never looked back. And uh, it was the best decision I've ever made. I I know today I would not be happy in another discipline other than pediatrics because I have the opportunity to impact my patients. I can talk to them. I experience them longitudinally. I have time to think about the cases and... um, it's, it's just, it's exactly the right fit for me. And, uh, so probably that decision came, uh, during that conversation I had with my mentor, uh, which is during my third year of med school. Mentorship strikes again. I love to hear it. The significance of it is something that comes up over and over again. And I hope our audience and in particular pre-medical students and medical students really absorb how pivotal good mentorship is in order to have success. You know, with your example, this prevented you from going into a specialty for all the wrong reasons and spending your life doing something that would not have brought you happiness. Being at a place like Meharry with a lot of minority mentorship, touch on how this has impacted you as a physician and the way you willingly serve as a mentor. Yeah, it's created for me a desire to replicate that environment wherever I go. I want to be the kind of mentor that I had at Meharry, I want to create the kind of environment that I had at Meharry. Uh, And, you know, before Meharry, my time at Howard in undergrad really solidified for me the value of an HBCU experience. Uh, I think it's no surprise that so many of the mentors, the terrific uh, mentors of color that we see in med schools across the country 
both HBCUs and PWIs, um, that they have spent some of their time at an HBCU and that that has informed the the way that they've created a culture uh, in their institution. So I, I think of myself as a cheerleader for my med students. Uh, I think of myself as a big brother. Um, I, I want the med students that I interact with to look at me in that way. And I want to create that environment within the residency program, within my uh, amongst my faculty colleagues in the Division of Nephrology here at Nationwide Children's Hospital. Um, it, it's definitely what drives me every day is creating that culture of inclusivity and support that helped me to succeed. So you've been at a PWI for a while now. And for our audience, a PWI is a predominantly white institution. This environment is different from a Howard or Meharry. How do you feel that HBCU energy has been received? So I think that having this HBCU energy, so to speak, uh, here at a predominantly white institution like Ohio State and um, a hospital like Nationwide Children's Hospital uh, has been invaluable to my, uh, my trainees, my students and my trainees. Um, and not just my students and trainees of color, because what an HBCU environment does is it creates, like I said, this culture of support and inclusivity uh, that teaches why all these different voices matter. And that's what everyone wants <laughs> out of their faculty, out of their teachers. Um, and so it's been incredibly warmly received. Uh, I know that I've had the example of mentors who've gone before me, like Dr. Quinn Capers. Another go. Shout out to Dr. Was Capers. A graduate of the med school here at Ohio State, longtime faculty member uh, here, uh, worked with yep. countless trainees, uh, bringing folks into medical school as the dean of admissions. Uh, mm -hmm. But he brought his Howard experience from undergrad with him to that role. Uh, right. I have several other uh, faculty members here at Nationwide Children's Hospital who have similar experiences, uh, having attended an HBCU and then gone on to uh, either um, study at a PWI or join the faculty here. Uh, it's been remarkable the way that they've brought that HBCU energy. Uh, I, I love that uh, you phrase it that way, this HBCU energy that they've brought with them to this institution. Uh, I think a lot of people appreciate it. Absolutely. I know we do. Can you touch on how you and your colleagues have had so much success in recruiting minorities to Ohio State and Nationwide? If we look at this year's rankings by U.S. News World Report, OSU was ranked number 14 out of a list of 125 in most diverse medical schools, all while maintaining metrics in the top 30s for best medical schools in primary care and research. I can certainly say the attraction is not the weather. So can you shed light on how you've had success? So other strong programs like Harvard, Dartmouth, that ranked at 65 and 73 respectively, or a school just a short drive away in the University of Michigan that was ranked in the 90s out of a list of 125. What has been the key to you and your colleagues' success in diversity recruitment? Yeah, well, I'm proud to say that both the Ohio State University College of Medicine and Nationwide Children's Hospital have both been hugely successful in recruiting underrepresented minorities uh, to train here. Um, I would love to take credit for that. Uh, I can't take credit for all of it. I can take credit for 
a small piece of it. Uh, there are a number of um, faculty of color who are involved in that recruitment process. There are also a large number of faculty and staff who are not of color, who are just as excited, just as invested uh, in this uh, as we are. And so that sort of team approach to wanting to see a truly diverse, truly inclusive uh, workforce that will bring about more equitable outcomes for our patients is really exciting uh, here, both at OSU uh, and in my faculty role uh, and my staff role as a um, pediatrician and member of the Division of Nephrology and Hypertension here at Nationwide Children's Hospital. It's just really exciting to see. You mentioned equitable outcomes for patients. Can you share a patient experience that emphasizes the importance of diversity in medicine? Yeah. One of my favorite patient stories, um, I, I've got this family. They, they drive uh, hours away from another state to come see me, about three and a half hours away from another state to come see me. And um, this uh, young man had uh, kidney failure. Uh, family is from um, a rural part of the state. And, you know, I recognize that in most of the spaces I travel in, um, I may be the only African-American physician that a lot of my patients will see. And that might be a little surprising to some of my patients, and which is okay. Um, uh, but I expect to be able to develop a strong relationship with them regardless of our differences, surface level differences. And what was so exciting to me about this family is um, on the surface, we have very little in common. You know, they come from a neighboring state, rural part of the state, a white family. Um, I'm a, you know, black man, son of immigrants um, here in a, one of the largest metropolitan area in the state of Ohio. Um, you, you would look at that on paper and say these folks have nothing in common. And I remember vividly the first time I interacted with this young man. He was a teenager uh, and his father. And uh, usually when you meet a family for the first time, you're kind of feeling each other out. And one of my favorite uh, techniques for developing rapport with families is um, uh, common identity formation. It's, it's an evidence-based technique uh, to build rapport and help to mitigate biases that you may have with it within between groups. And I noticed the young man had on a baseball cap. And I said, man, you know, are, you, are you a fan of a particular team? And he said, no, this is my high school baseball team. So that's awesome. I said, do you play high school ball? He said, yeah, you know, I'm a pitcher. How fast is your fastball? You know, we started talking about baseball. Maybe the first seven minutes of the whole visit was spent talking about something completely separate from his kidney disease. And you just watch the family just settle into this relaxed place. I watched this young man settle into this relaxed place. Um, the interaction was like smooth as butter after that. And today, this family, it's, I feel like their family to me, they feel like, um, they're, you know, they feel like family as well. And um, it's exciting to have seen that evolution when on the surface, there's so much different between me and this family um, that a seven minute experience where I am genuinely invested in this person as a person, separate and apart from their medical diagnosis, was able to start that bond. You know, it, 
I've been this person's doctor now for a year and a half. And uh, so our bond is tight now in a way that it, it wasn't during that first meeting. It takes time for that to develop. Um, but I think as physicians of color, we often worry about interactions like that. You know, we worry about coming in contact with families who maybe haven't had a physician of color before or might come from an area where there are not that many people of color around. And we worry about what those stereotypes might mean. Uh, we worry about those, the interaction, the, the authenticity of the interactions that we can have with those kinds of patients. Um, I think our patients may have some worries, too, based on stereotypes that they carry with them into those interactions. And to watch what happens when we work together as patient and family uh, with the provider to break those barriers down and develop trust. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to, to see. And I know that it's brought a richness to my life as a pediatrician. And I, I hope it's brought a richness to their life uh, as my patients. Drop in gems, Dr. Bignall. You know how we do on the Black Men in Medicine podcast. I told you, ladies and gentlemen, we had another amazing guest full of words of wisdom. But on that topic of biases, how do you deal with that? You know, whether that's you towards your patient or your patient's biases towards you? Dealing with bias as a pediatrician, as a physician, is hard. Um, it's really hard work because we all have biases. Um, I think that there, obviously, we all have implicit biases that we carry with us into our interactions uh, with anyone. Um, as physicians of color, in particular African-American physicians, I think we often experience uh, bias towards us, uh, often implicit, sometimes explicit, okay, racism that we uh, feel in the interactions that we have with people. And we're perceptive. You know, we've, uh, we've been on this planet a long time. We, we know when people are treating us differently. Um, and that's, that's hard. Uh, it's a real challenge to navigate the world with that kind of in the back of your mind. The way that I have found to deal with that is by taking a moment to sort of set it aside. Mm -hmm. You don't ignore it or pretend it's not there, but you set it aside and you make a good faith effort to connect with someone on a human level first. So uh, I love asking my patients about school. How's school going? What's your favorite class? What grade are you in? What do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, I love asking my teens about college or vocational training, or if they want to go into the military. I love to talk about members of my own family who are in the military and, um, and the experiences that they've had and, and tell them that I'm proud of them. I, I usually leave every visit with my patients telling them that I'm proud of them. There's, there's something you can find to be proud of a patient for in almost any uh, circumstance. And every young person loves to hear a person of authority or an adult in their life tell them that, uh, that they're proud of them, you know. And so I am constantly looking for little ways to connect on a human level with my patients. And I find that that's the best way to break down any preconceptions that those folks may have of me. And occasionally when I bring preconceptions into my clinical encounters with my patients, uh, it helps to hear them uh, in a humanized way. It, it, it helps me 
to say, oh, wow, you know, I hadn't thought that this family from some rural, you know, small town community somewhere um, might be wanting to, you know, travel somewhere to a, a big college and pursue a career in law or science or research or engineering. Um, it, it allows me to challenge the stereotypes that I have as well. And it, it allows for improved interactions between us. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing your insight, Dr. Bigno. We can hear your devotion to the profession as you speak, but you're also a mentor to many, a husband, and you have an endless list of roles at Nationwide Children's in Ohio State. How do you maintain the energy to get all of this done and do it at a high level? One of the real challenges with this experience, being a physician, being a black man in medicine, is that there's a lot of pressures on your time. Obviously, I have clinical responsibilities and I have scholarly responsibilities as well. And so I want to be proficient in those things. I want to be a great doctor and spend a lot of time thinking about and reading about my patients and coming up with really good evidence-based clinical decisions for them. I want to be a great academician. I'm here on the faculty of a a terrific, venerated medical school. Um, I want to live up to the expectations that I have placed on myself, the expectations that my faculty colleagues and my trainees and students have of me um, to be excellent in my job as a teacher. And on top of that, as a black man in medicine, I feel this additional calling to serve my community. Um, I want to be, you know, involved in community groups. I want to be involved in my church. Uh, I want to be involved in advocacy locally, uh, statewide, nationally. These things are all very important to me. But on top of that, I'm a husband. (laughs) And um, my wife and I are um, both busy. You know, my wife's a pediatric psychologist, also on faculty here at Nationwide Children's and at OSU. And uh, so it's really hard because... When, you, when we come home from work, we often want to bring work with us. Uh, there's always work to do. And there's this expectation, especially for those of us who are type A personalities, got to be kind of type A to go into a career in medicine in the first place. <laughs> That's a fact. And so for both of us, we have this drive to sort of finish what's on our plate. And there's always more on the plate, you know? So it's been really hard to learn how to say, okay, when we get home after this particular time at night, we're done working and we're going to, you know, hang out together. We're going to watch a movie. Um, You know, uh, we're going to go have a date night. We're going to go grab something to eat. We're going to go, you know, have some experience somewhere. Um, It's hard to do that. It really, really is hard to do that. And it's got to be intentional. Intentional for sure, which is at the core of trying to do anything difficult. But contrary to popular belief, a huge study done by BMJ that spanned over five years and included over 40,000 physicians and more than 6 million other adults reported physicians came in at 24% of ever being divorced, which was lower than lawyers, nurses, dentists, other health professionals and executives, 
And of course, lower than the average for the country, which is around 45% in 2021. So those are some stats for you. Now, I'm certainly not saying it's easy, but what's you and your wife's approach to stay on the right side of this statistic? The truth of the matter is a lot of marriages don't last. A lot of relationships um, between partners don't last in this profession. And it's because of the demands on the time. And uh, it doesn't really help if your significant other is in medicine or out of medicine. Um, I think the most important thing is to set personal limits. You know, I'm going to do this and when it's done, it's done. And I'm going to spend time uh, investing in my family, investing in my partner, investing in my spouse, because that's what's of value to me. And uh, so I'm still working on it. My wife will tell you I'm still working on it. Um, uh, But we're learning together and and we're and we're constantly trying because we love each other and we want uh, we want it to work. Amazing to hear. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head and that devotion and a commitment to trying. Those are key. But being pulled in so many directions with your responsibilities as a pediatrician, a husband, et cetera, et cetera. Do you still get to dabble in your hobbies? I know you're an enthusiast for airplanes and flying. Yeah. So um, I'm a pilot. I, I got my pilot's license in 2005. Uh, while I was in between uh, my first and second year at Howard University. So growing up, aviation is something that uh, has always fascinated me from the earliest moment I can remember. Uh, My dad is an aviation enthusiast. Um, He's a physicist by training. uh, And I remember some of my earliest computer games were flight simulators. And I would delve into the topic. I mean, growing up, any book about aviation I could get my hands on, I would read. And um, a very close family friend of ours uh, is uh, a flight instructor. And uh, when he happened to be living in uh, the D.C. area, and so the summer before and the summer after my first year at Howard, uh, I lived with him for the summer. And... um, would do my training. He's an officer in the Navy. And so he would go to work at Patuxent River Naval Air Station in, um, on the eastern shore, uh, the, uh, rather the Chesapeake uh, shore of Maryland. And um, the airport where we were training was on the way to work. So I'd wake up in the mornings. It was, uh, if I remember correctly, some, something like a 45 to hour drive to get out there and uh, we'd cruise on. He'd drop me off at the airport. I would do all the book studying there uh, and then and he would be at work and in the afternoons uh, when he would get off work we would spend an hour uh, doing some air work, flying and then um, over those two summers I uh, was able to build up my time and the experiences necessary to get my license. So that's been that's a dream come true and, and I loved flying when I was in Nashville early in med school Uh, But then med school got busy. I like to joke when I had time, I didn't have the money. Uh, Now I have the money and I don't have the time. Uh, And I'm at the point in my career where or or my flying career, I guess, where uh, it's time for me to um, renew my license and kind of dust the rust off, so to speak, 
and so um, my promise was that when I took and passed my boards, I would get back into flying. And praise God, I took and passed my boards. Uh, but then this little thing happened uh, called COVID, uh, and that derailed me uh, from continuing on the timetable that I was hoping for. So uh, hoping to get back in the air real soon uh, and kind of uh, get that dream back on track, because uh, it's a special thing that has meant a lot to me. On that topic of soaring and taking things to new heights, what is something you would like to see out of the Black Men in Medicine organization to continue to help our community and have a positive impact? Yeah. Well, representation is everything. Uh, I think there's a real power in uh, Black men who are already underrepresented in medicine uh, to see other Black men doing something that maybe they perhaps didn't conceive was a possibility for them. Uh, I know that I was able to pursue a career in medicine as a black man because I had other black male examples, uh, uncles, uh, family friends, folks from my church back home who I saw pursuing their own careers in medicine. And that um, it, I wouldn't even say it inspired me so much as it set for me a floor. Um, I know I can achieve what I see the people around me achieving. Right. So it provided for me an opportunity to say, okay, this is an option for me uh, because it was an option for my friend's dad. And um, I would love to extend that same exposure to others as a black man in medicine. And I think as an organization of black men, both in medical school and those who've left medical school and are in residency fellowship programs or on a faculty somewhere, we can be that representation. We can be that visual, uh, that visual inspiration for young men of color who might not see themselves represented in the spaces where they live and work and play, but might see themselves represented in us uh, through the, the interactions that we can have with them. So I just think there's real power in that. And I think there's also power in community. So um, it's great to be a black man in medicine. Uh, but it can be pretty lonely. And uh, just like anybody else, uh, it's important that shared experiences are shared. Uh, and there's a real power that Black Men in Medicine has in, in terms of providing a space for community, for support, for understanding. You know, sometimes it's good. You know, I, I have a, a buddy, uh, Dr. Brandon Blue, one of my best friends. Um, who is a uh, hematologist, oncologist, uh, uh, bone marrow doctor uh, down in Tampa uh, at Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida. And we talk all the time. <laughs> I mean, uh, once, you know, at least every other week, uh, we, we call, we, we joke. My, my wife likes to say she knows when I'm talking with Brandon because I'm really loud uh, I'm code switching completely <laughs> like I'm just myself. And Brandon is this is the same way with him. You know, uh, he calls when good things happen. Right. He calls when bad things happen. Uh, when he's confused, you know, he calls me and I do the same thing. You know, if if I get an opportunity, one of the first people I'm calling is Brandon. I want to get his opinion. Uh, I want to get his praise and his his love, his support. Um, you know, sometimes I want him to get mad too. You know, it's nice. Sometimes it's just nice to have people who you can be mad with 
about right. something that ticks you off. Uh, and, that, and that's my, my brother, Brandon. And um, we both went to Meharry together and we graduated Meharry together and we've been connected ever since. And so I think there's a real power in having black men like that in your orbit uh, that you can count on and connect with. Uh, it's a real it's a real awesome thing. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. I have certainly shared those sentiments during my time here at Ohio State. Shout out to my guys, Torn, Brian, Cyril, and Devin for holding it down for the class of 2022. But what about the people who are not black men or even minorities? How does support of our mission lend benefit to them? Yeah, the community should support black men in medicine because the community should want black men in medicine. Um, We know that black men are more likely to follow through on certain pieces of medical advice if it comes from a black man in medicine. Um, We know that communities appreciate seeing the representation from black men in medicine. But even communities or, or say, for instance, the faculties that we're a part of, they benefit even if the folks who are part of it are not black men um, or not black at all. They benefit from the perspective of black men in medicine because it's a diverse perspective that allows for a a different vantage point on a particular problem. So one of the things that I really like about what we're doing in black men in medicine is that we're providing a service not only for the communities that we serve, but we're providing a service for our colleagues as well. We can be a sounding board for colleagues to learn from a vantage point that they might not otherwise see. And that's an incredibly valuable experience. Ooh, that boy good. I hope you had your bag ready, ladies and gentlemen, because that was a few more gems for you. Hey, thank you, Dr. Big Null. Uh, keep moving with that same energy. We love to see it. You're clearly a man of many talents, and needless to say, we're impressed. Any last words you want to leave with the audience? Uh, I, I am incredibly grateful to my mentees, uh, my students at Ohio State, um, my trainees here at Nationwide Children's Hospital. Um, I think the work that you guys do every day is, is phenomenal. I, what I love most, actually, um, almost more than seeing the leadership, uh, the anti-racist leadership that uh, is coming out of the Ohio State University College of Medicine from black men in medicine, black women in medicine, is seeing that same commitment to anti-racism coming from your white colleagues, uh, your non-black colleagues who are also people of color. I love seeing it because it shows that we are all moving towards a more equitable future. But we got a long way to go. And it feels like sometimes we... Uh, address, we don't even solve it. We address one problem and we learn about three more, you know? Um, It can feel like a really, really deep hole, uh, but I promise you, things are getting better and I know they're getting better because we're standing up and we are speaking up and we're acting up. (laughs) Uh, You know, we're getting in good trouble and I'm excited to see that happening and I'm excited to see that we're bringing some non-black folk along with us. Um, and I'm excited to see us taking up other causes. You know, um, the experiences of the last uh, the last several months 
has helped me to realize some areas where my activism is needed in support of uh, other groups who are leading efforts. Um, you know, what am I doing to help support uh, my LGBTQ family when they are talking about the challenges that they are seeing in their community, particularly in, in healthcare, particularly as students and trainees, you know, uh, maybe even here at my own institution? How am I supporting them? Um, our American Indian and Native American and First Nation communities, you know, what are we doing to help them in some of the challenges that they have had, especially as we think about this COVID-19 pandemic? Um, how are we helping to address their concerns and issues? Where can I fit in to be of support to them? Uh, you know, we don't need to take leadership over everybody else's challenge. We need to learn how to be the kind of allies we want in our own advocacy uh, for our community as well. And together, if we start, you know, thinking about and helping other people and their challenge, uh, fitting in where we need to fit in, uh, shutting up when we need to shut up and letting other people speak, um, then we can learn uh, how to move forward to a more equitable future together. So I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm really proud to be here. Hey, we were proud to have you. It was a pleasure to have you here today. Uh, as we wrap up another episode of Collar Poppin' and Jim Dropping, you know how we do on the Black Men in Medicine podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Ray Bignall. Nice. Thank you, guys. Awesome. If you want to find out more about what we're doing with the Black Men in Medicine movement, you can check us out at www.blackmenandmed.com, www.blackmenmed.com, where you'll see highlights of black male physicians holding down the mission to serve in the hospital and surrounding communities. We provide a platform for medical doctors down to the pre-medical level to get connected with mentorship, scholarships, and collaborative medical projects. We are here for change. We are here to stay. Let's get connected. Make sure you tune into another episode of the Black Man in Medicine podcast, bringing you nothing but the